Welcome everyone to the Iron Fist podcast by Fantastic Geek. We are the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. This isn't a friendly introduction, you clown. The Iron Fist podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 204, Target Iron Fist, is brought to you by Misty Knight's Refrigerator Magnets. The perfect thing to get your friends when they're more of a tea house. Pete, this is an episode directed by Ms. MJ Bassett and written by Ms. Jenny Lynn. Uh, it's worth noting that Ms. Bassett has previously been credited as Mr. Michael J. Bassett, so some extra diversity and perspective behind the camera for this episode. Season two of Iron Fist Behind the Scenes is a pretty diverse place, with four of the nine season writers being female, Matt, and three of the ten directors. It's not 50-50 but it's progress in the right direction. What I find confusing is when people say, I won't watch Iron Fist because it's not diverse. And via social media in recent days, and going back even further than that, there are people who harp on Danny Rand as the titular character, and fairly, let's, let's point that out, but there's so much more going on this show beyond him. And in an episode here where we have the fan favorite reteaming of what in the comics is known as the Daughters of the Dragon of Colleen Wing with her friend Misty Knight from Luke Cage. I mean, you only rob yourself by staying away from this. Bringing the clock back to, I mean, my goodness, whenever the Defenders uh, announcement was, not for the miniseries, mind you, this whole package of the four feeder series and Defenders, probably 2013, 2014, you know, would it have been nice if uh, Danny Rand was played by an Asian actor? Absolutely. We've discussed mm -hmm. that on the first season of the podcast. We won't, we won't rehash that here. Would it have been nice back in 2013 if Netflix had picked up you, you know, uh, Daughters of the Dragon feeder series or something like that. Absolutely. But here's the thing. Where was Marvel TV back then? Not where it is now. Certainly not in terms of its massive uh, output. Um, I mean, we ran the numbers. I was texting Matt um, today and uh, we recorded our 271st episodic uh, Marvel TV podcast the other day. This is 272. Um, they're a little further out from that because we've not done all of the Iron Fist episodes. We're going to come very close to 300 of episodes. 300 episodes of Marvel TV by the end of this year. Okay, um, that's tremendous growth in a little bit more than a five-year period. And I don't think it's paying lip service to Marvel and Netflix and, you know, the, the whole the whole thing to say, you know, oh, well, they could have, but they didn't. I mean, what was this what was this Defenders Uber property five, six years ago? It was an unproven, yep. uh, an unproven commodity. So to go with characters that were that were familiar, you know, so be it. Uh, fast forward to, you know, season two of Iron Fist, Pete, there's seven credited leads for the series that's with simone missick 
credited in some episodes, not in the other. Five of those are women. You have women in front of the camera. You have women behind the camera, writing, directing. And that's just the, you know, kind of the, the, the top of the line credits. Obviously, uh, you know, other women involved uh, a little bit farther down the, the list of credits, as it were. To, to throw this show aside, not because you don't like the character or not because you don't care for Finn Jones acting or not because the first season was awful, but to do so pinky out and say, oh, it, it offends me because it's not diverse. It's putting women to work in front and behind the camera, yeah. you know, in, in a property that when conceived five years ago was kind of a boys only club. They've come a long way and watching this show because it doesn't have enough diversity with its uh, multiple women from three different ethnicities and uh, and and again, people behind the camera as well. It's it's yep. disingenuous is what it is. Yeah, I'm sure Jessica Hennick and Simone Missick would would be so happy for your contribution to the cause by not watching it. Some sarcasm there, Pete. With that, what's next? Time to step inside the dojo and deconstruct this episode. Electricity buzzes on a darkened subway platform as a hooded figure stands over Danny, who is reaching for Colleen on his phone when the assailant stomps on it. The figure, who seems to be Walker, drags Danny off as he passes out. Sometime earlier, Danny and Colleen go over the events that led to the attack at the parlay. Danny is concerned he's cost the peace. Colleen tells him he's the only one who's been able to save lives, but he's worried he won't be able to rein in his rage. He wishes they didn't have to deal with all this and could concentrate on her search for Frank Choi. Colleen reminds him... Her past will still be there when they solve this situation. Joy tries to make sense of Walker's photos, finding their way to Danny's apartment. Davos points out the paradox and contradiction. Joy has agreed to pay Walker a large sum of money, and after months of planning, today's an important day. Walker assures them the job's not blown, that she's spent the last 60 days tracking Danny. She knows everything about him. Davos has a lot to prepare for between the Bowl and the Crane sisters, so Joy sends him away. She'll get Walker to talk. Ward gets dressed at Bethany's and analyzes his inability to face his sister with his soon-to-be ex-sponsor. She suggests he do something kind. She also informs Ward she's calling Carlos to be his sponsor so they can be free to see what they are. Danny and Colleen drop by the Yang residence. They hear a heart monitor when Lou admonishes them for showing up. Mrs. Yang meets with them but explains their alliance has run its course. Colleen figures out Yang is not visiting family in Hong Kong. He instead suffered a stroke with a bleak prognosis. Danny doesn't think it's a coincidence and finds marks on Yang consistent with a technique taught only in Kunlun called the Devil's Claw. 
Yang manages to indicate Davos did it and says Hancock 212 before Mrs. Yang boots them out. Just then, Misty pulls up. She had tried contacting them, but they hadn't noticed. At Colleen's, Misty explains Officer Donnie Chang was undercover with the Golden Tigers and is now in the hospital after Danny used his glowing fist. Misty says the other faction Danny saw was probably the cops. She wants them to back off, but the connections won't allow them to. Danny tells her about Hancock 212, as in Hancock Transport, one of the biggest shipping companies in the world. Danny needs some space, but takes off for the docks. At Walker's, Joy carelessly rifles through her psychology books and finds a flyer for a dream getaway cabin in Bear Flat, Arizona as well as a U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs discharge summary for one Mary Walker, who is described as having experienced dissociative episodes, not multiple personalities, but dissociative identity disorder. Colleen confesses to Misty um, that she is worried she will carry her katana again and use it. She also catches Misty up about the tale that's been surveilling them, her job at the center, and the box with her family's crest before they realize Danny is gone. Walker throws Joy in a headlock and tells her about her struggle. She didn't give Danny the photos, but she did. Walker needs the job. Joy wants to know if she can manage her condition today. At the docks, Davos spills tiger blood before he finds the shipping crate containing a masked corpse with an iron fist tattoo, which he cuts off. Danny arrives afterward to make the grizzly, grizzly discovery before Colleen and Misty make it there. Colleen gets Misty to let Danny go. Colleen wants Danny to slow down, lest he put another police officer in the hospital. Three women use the ancient bowl and the tattoo to perform an, a ritual on Davos. Ward surprises Joy at her place. He bought her a company in New Jersey. She doesn't want him involved and rejects his olive branch. Danny is attacked in the subway by Walker, who injects him with a syringe that makes him woozy. He summons the fist, but Walker is able to take cover. Colleen calls Danny, but he can only tell her it's Mary before being dragged off to Davos and the Crane sisters, who cut him and use his blood to tattoo a snake on Davos's back. Sparring partners, let's look at who Danny faced off against in this episode. Pete, I must confess, at the top of this episode, I thought a villain was going to be maybe the writing or the directing or the editing. My my antennae go up whenever I see a later fight scene, the climactic fight scene, pushed to the top of the episode, and then the rest of the episode is leading up to that. Uh, however, no evidence here of a janky story. Uh, evidence here, though, of, of Walker being a villain in the beginning, in the middle, and the end. Yeah, and I think pound for pound, this their strongest episode in season two that we've podcast to date. 
Um, Walker is now a, a fully interesting character, despite some story bungling, some some character uh, choices mishandled a little earlier on in the season. I wish Walker, in terms of the performance, was a little bit more down here, a little bit more differentiated. Uh, maybe that's just because we haven't really seen Mary in an episode or two. Because to be fair, she was flighty and the voice was up here and whatnot. Um, but bottom line, I buy this fight scene. I buy the physicality of it. I buy that it's Alice Eve, whether we're seeing Alice Eve or we're seeing a stunt double or whatever the mixture is there. The whole thing works. Um, I'll even mention too, Pete, it's a little off the villain path here, but the colors in this episode, particularly in that fight scene, so lush. Great to see blues that are blue and reds that are red, and all of it feeding back into the story that uh, Walker is one bad mamma-jamma as she takes out the Iron Fist. I really like what Alice Eve is doing here. I was a fan to begin with, but the way that she's modulating Mary's voice in more hushed, serious tone she's still got that little bit of a twang going a little bit of an accent but we've got these long takes these long stares you pointed out um as we were watching the episode the heterochromia that uh alice eve actually has uh two uh pupils of different colors uh like david bowie and the, these long takes with the close-ups really, really service the character, the characters that she's uh, inhabiting. A couple episodes ago, I had mentioned Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde as a potential template for this character. What I like that they did not do in the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde uh, kind of ilk here is to really have them separated. Yes, a moment ago I was asking for maybe a little bit more acting separation, but there's this clear, like, you know, Walker is understandable as who she is and Mary is understandable who she is. And unlike Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, you can see how they're both kind of in the same body and of course i don't mean that literally because it's disassociative personality disorder of course it's the same body but you, you could see how it's kind of two ends of the same brain for lack of a better word unlike dr jekyll and mr hyde where it really is like two separate drastically different people um all of this is made possible by that performance of alice eve and she's just nailing it here when it came to light that she was going to be playing Typhoid Mary, I was a little concerned how they were going to play it. And other than the pacing issues of it, I really have to say they've done a great job thus far. Let's move on, Pete, to Joy, who, of course, plays a, a big role uh, in this episode, I think her villainy a bit more clear. We kind of get that, you know, the the connecting pieces here of Walker and Joy and Davos and all of that really coming together. Joy, who's given the opportunity for kind of safe haven in terms of the the you know the rough and tumble business world, and she's rejecting it from her brother. I'm really over woe is me. I've been, you know, the the butt of ward and and danny ruining my life joy she needs to own the villainy here yeah she breaks down after her brother comes and offers her this company to be a silent partner to get off 
um, you know, strike out on her own. Um, look at what she did with Walker. Granted, she's paying this woman um, as a, a, a PI, as a threat to Danny. But at the same time, she's callously rifling through her stuff to to find this secret about um, the multiple identities. Uh, Joy has convinced herself that she's a victim when she's really a villain. I think, too, Joy has convinced herself of a certain sense of superiority, which, you know, okay, if you're one of those super richity rich families in Manhattan, I suppose I can understand where you might get that uh, get that notion. But everything from the performance to that rifling through uh, of, of uh, Mary's stuff, even down to the wonderful job that the costume department has done with really making sure that Joy looks maybe not, you know, kind of fashion model runway clothing, but just looks like super high-end Fortune 100 kind of business um, compared to, you know, Walker, who I think for most of us just kind of looks you know, her clothing is normal. We wouldn't say she's drab or, or shabby or anything like that. Certainly Walker's apartment in most parts of this country, that would be considered to be a nice apartment in Manhattan. That's a huge apartment, but, yeah. we're, but we're turning a blind eye to that to just say, Oh, she has the little apartment versus the big loft space with neon and whatnot. The joy has and everything, the performance, the costume, the, the set blocking in terms of rifling through the stuff, it's all underlining the the fact that joy is not meant to be liked by us which i'm okay with because she's she's a good character she's a good actress to to do that what a contrast it it strikes you know the the very close up uh claustrophobic space that uh mary walker has and then these sweeping bright angles uh large spaces that uh that joy has all the while matt her world is empty it even crossed my mind during one of the night scenes in joy's uh it's called apartment seems to to be to undersell it but enjoys you know enjoys loft you know there's car lights and whatnot in the background and i'm saying could this be a real place looking out real windows you know oftentimes that's not the case for a variety of production reasons but Again, all of it really selling everything that Joy has in the world. And then when we get to Davos here, closer and closer to what he's wanted all along, he's got the bowl. He's got the Crane sisters, whoever the heck they are. We're going to talk about that in the next segment. Okay, he gets the Iron Fist corpse and the tattoo here. He's putting it all together and tells Danny at the end of the episode, now he's going to take what should have always been his. Pete, it made me think of the feedback that we shared just in the last podcast, which was like, I just saw episode one. I sure hope Davos isn't the bad guy. And at the time, I was like, what? Davos be the bad guy? Clearly, it's Walker. Well, after this episode, it seems like all roads lead to Davos, at least thus far. But is it Davos now? Well, Pete, I, I never look ahead, but <laughs> you know what? There's some twists and turns ahead. I know that much. Time to focus our chi and look inside this episode. Pete, Davos has the mystical mumbo-jumbo thing he's got now, what? the tattoo. 
Will we see Davos uh, having a, a fist or a foot or a nose or something that will glow? Will he light the way of the sled for St. Nick? Uh, what, what will it be? Well, I mean, they showed enough in the in the promotional material that if you haven't seen, I'm not going to ruin it for you. But uh, let's just say he gets something to light up. Well, that certainly is good, I suppose. Um, I, I, I like how this episode did not leave us with a ton of theories in terms of how did all of this happen. It kind of was shown in front of us and and the rest is kind of mystical mumbo jumbo and good. It's done with and we don't need to spend a four episode arc on like understanding the powder in the bowl and things of that sort. I think there is a fair amount of vagary. Let's start with the uh, the people who were also on the scene of the parley that we still don't definitively know. Misty asserts that that could have been a follow team coming to extract uh, Officer Donnie Chang. Do you buy that? Uh, thus far, I do. I mean, it does answer... It does answer the questions, you know, if if the hatchets and the tigers were both willing to sit down, who is it who's come there to interrupt it? But then you see neither tigers nor hatchets kind of looking to get out of there before their people ruin things. So I'll go for that as an explanation. Could they double back on it? Sure. But you have to inject Misty into the story, which means you need to inject police into the story. Otherwise, Pete, she's just she's going downtown without investigation, and that badge is writing checks her mouth can't cash and things of that sort. So to, to wrap it up all in a nice uh, police uh, bow works for me. If anybody could do that, though, it's, it's Misty Knight. I mean, I, I don't see that you necessarily have to involve the cops in this episode, given her nature um we wondered at times during luke cage season two you know she was leaving the force um and and then bounced back and and, she did for a whole episode (laughs) well then then she was closer and closer to being named the the captain of the precinct up in harlem and then you know, kind of like the poster child of the NYPD in light of the Midland Circle incident, obviously with the the Purple Heart and the injury that, that she suffered. So, um, yeah, I, I'm not convinced that was the cops. We, we seem to be doubling back to it to draw attention. Have to see whether that comes back. The Walker VA Hospital diagnosis is a very interesting way to go. Are we to read into that? Was this triggered from some kind of post-traumatic stress from uh, action scene someplace? Is it just a, a medical thing? Did it just happen? What's up with that? Well, I think first and foremost, that was expositional info dump at its best. No sarcasm intended. Uh, to to see the medical diagnosis, which definitively explains to Joy and to the audience what the thing is, uh, that's the nature of exposition. So, uh, you know, one less one less mystery to deal with. Um, now, to answer the rest of your question, Pete, you know, I I'm so careful to be spoiler free, but I did see one little nugget about more of Mary's story from the past, uh, which I won't spoil here, but it's. It's a good little nugget. I don't know if the answer will be that 
that military events in the past somehow triggered it. Although I think just kind of from a writer's sense, if she has seen combat, which not for nothing, if you're going to give her a military history, it's easy enough to give her combat. Mm-hmm. I um, mean, she's certainly behaving like somebody who's who's been in combat. Oh, and, and been well-trained and all that. Absolutely. So I think that, I mean, to me, it's just sensible to say, you know, as opposed to, oh, man, she's always been this way. And she was in and out of psychiatric facilities before joining army for eight years. Like it's much it just is more sensible to say things were great until that terrible, terrible day over in. Oh, I won't say it, Pete, but over there. And then that's what kind of, you know, overloaded her her brain, her psyche leading to this split. The crane sisters matt let's not forget that um both davos and uh danny have studied with the order of the crane mother so it would seem a pretty firm connection but what's up with these ladies Here's a great writer's room decision. Uh, we're, we need to hire three models to wear leather underwear and show up in the scene doing magics in order to help the bad guy. I mean, Pete, I I enjoy a I enjoy a, a nice looking gal, same as the next guy. But do we really need to have like three of them hanging out? I, it was it was a weird it was a weird place to go in what has otherwise been a pretty. Uh, straightforward universe i'll just say not mcu not even defenders just kind of the iron fist neck of the woods even with dragons and glowing fists it's you know rarely pete do we see belly bellies bared and that sort of thing but okay if that's what the crane sisters do i hope we get to learn more about them in the future because their motivations beyond being silent sirens of doing chores for davos uh i'd like a little more depth there the costumes certainly smack of the spider lady in the hand tournament in season one um you can't win them all but uh stay off social media matt if you uh don't want to get spoiled uh jessica hennick herself threw some rather uh choice tidbits out there about uh, what's coming if you haven't already watched it. We're recording this on the Monday, um, September 10th, after uh, Iron Fist Season 2 dropped in its entirety on Friday, September 7th. So not everybody's finished it yet. Maybe hold off a little bit. I, I literally only know where Mary Walker has seen combat action in the past. That's all I know for the rest of the season. Pete, life's pretty good on the spoiler-free <laughs> side. The masked corpse. This another Iron Fist. Um, is there a greater story here, or is it just, well, he was an immortal Iron Fist who is no longer immortal, and we took his tattoo. And shipped via Hancock and UPS from his <laughs> resting place in... FedEx refused... <laughs> the uh the joint apparently (laughs) um your point is an excellent one and the story will be better served for some kind of explanation you know if davos who of course let's not forget we don't know what he's been up to in the last year plus since we last saw him in defenders so if we just get i mean two lines 
to we say. We didn't see him in Defenders in uh, in Iron Fist. I'm sorry. Yes, I misspoke. So we haven't seen him in in over a year since Iron Fist. Um, if if we get one or two lines of him to say, you know, I spent the last year looking for the final resting place of Yakety Schmackety Iron Fist number twelve. That's you a know. really lousy name. Can we get a, a better name there, Matt? <laughs> well, you know, it's just a placeholder for right now. Okay. Um, but if that's the case, fine. If it literally, if if that's not even mentioned ever again, and we just take it for granted that Davos had access to the resting place of an Iron Fist and knew the mystical qualities of that Iron Fist's tattoo and had the Iron Fist taken out of his resting place and had him sent all the way to New York, but not completely, and that's where... Uh, Yang and the hatchets intercepted the shipment and Yang only knew it. like at a certain point it's like come on we need to just tie this up with a bow otherwise it's all going to fall apart on the table speaking of tied up with a bow ever since we had Davos show up there's kind of been this countdown to the steel serpent with that symbol having appeared on the TV shows for quite some time now uh, and finally being tattooed on Davos. Are we there, Matt? Do we have Steel Serpent? Will we hear Steel Serpent spoken? Well, Pete, it certainly seems to be the case. Uh, I will admit I don't have a ton of knowledge about Steel Serpent from the comics, but if we are getting, wait for it, Pete, an MCU villain whose powers mirror that of the hero, but instead he acts bad but has similar powers... Pete, I'll be shocked because that's only been done most of the time before. Um, but I mean, joking aside, will they say it out loud? Pete, they call Danny Rand the Iron Fist and they even have some yucks about it. How do you not, you know, how does he not, how does Davos not in all sincerity say, for behold, I am now the Steel Serpent? Maybe even insert a joke in there, guys. A little joke here and there wouldn't hurt every so often. It's like he's a serpent made of steel. Let's listen to some messages from the mystical city of Kunlun. Pete, we have a tweet from our pal Mike Sorensen. That's at Warcry underscore 75. He says cryptically, not spoiling, he says a few new threads in Iron Fist connecting back to the MCU. It will make some fans very happy for bringing the shows closer in, some very unhappy for the same reason. I wonder if I know what he's talking about since I know one thing that does tie the MCU a bit closer together that's ahead in our future, but someone else's past. Yeah, I mean, listen, Mike Sorensen, longtime listener, certainly detail-oriented, and uh, yeah, just uh, so uh, gracious to have listeners like this along for the ride. I know we have some other uh, other listeners who sent us some spoilery type stuff. We're going to be getting to that in the next couple episodes. I hope Pete, mine eyes must remain spoiler free <laughs> for I am like Davos. Even when what's her name lady comes along, I look away unlike Davos. That's why I'm not the villain in season two of Iron Fist. Mika Prada. There you go. Pete, how can people be in touch with you to talk spoilers, to talk Mika Prada, to talk MCU? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R-9900. K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 9972 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter is looking back lost, do be in touch with the podcast. 
comment on fantasticgeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with a PH, all one word, like it today. Well, Pete, the weekend is here, and uh, we're, we, of course, will keep rolling with Iron Fist. We'll be back on Sunday to talk episode 205. Oh, my goodness, as we Ugh. race through this season, Pete. And uh, with that, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Dirty money sure can look pretty. <laughs>